This is News Talk 980 CKNW. Well, my next guest is a critically acclaimed fiction writer, a poet as well, and he is also the author of a new book called The Blue Hour. Joining me on the line is Richard Telke. Richard, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. Uh, tell people a little bit about The Blue Hour. If they're not uh, familiar with the story uh, that is uh, in this book, uh, maybe give us a, a bit of a, a background lesson on what it's about. Well, the story comes out of our messy political moment. I know a number of people who live in what are considered to be the Rust Belt states, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. And I've been interested in the shifts in their politics in the last decade. Many of them were people who were quite progressive and suddenly joined the Tea Party movement. And I wanted to explain that and explain it in the context of what happens to people who have been friends for decades when friends shift their allegiances and their values. And that can be a very shocking thing when suddenly middle-aged people change in front of you and you don't quite understand it. Now, I thought fiction would help probe that problem. And so how did you come up then with the idea for for the characters and and having this kind of focus around a a puzzling death? Well, the characters are, like often uh, is the case with fiction writers, drawn from things in your own life. So... I I talk to people, old friends, and look at the kind of milieu that they live in. And I asked myself, what would coalesce the problem? And I didn't want to make it something simply political. It needed to be something personal. So a murder or a death um, was actually the kind of natural solution to that problem in terms of plot. And does it take place in a real, uh, a real place, or did you come up with a, a fiction, a fiction town that perhaps was based on a real place? Uh, I decided to be risky and use a real place. <laughs> Oberlin, Ohio, has one of the oldest campuses in the United States. It was founded in 1833, and it prides itself on being a progressive campus. Actually, it was the first in the United States to be co-ed and the first to welcome black students in 1835. So it seemed a natural environment for political discord and and conflict. And why do you say it's risky to choose a real place? Well, it's always risky because, first of all, real places don't like to be written about unless you're saying only flattering (laughs) things. Um, I did shift an antique mall from another town and make it border on this town. I thought I had poetic license to do that. Of course, of course you do. Um, the, the book as well also, uh, it is fiction, but it includes um, the discovery of letters by Harriet Beecher Stowe, the author yeah. of, of Uncle Tom's Cabin. Can you explain a little bit how that, how that works into the story? Well, Oberlin was an important site on the Underground Railroad during the Civil War era, and it's very proud of that aspect of its history. And so it seemed to me that people who are involved in the world of antiques, and I don't just mean high-end antiques, I mean also memorabilia, would be natural for them to have certain kinds of discoveries that either turn out to be real or not real. And Letters from Harriet Beecher Stowe fits in with that world. Okay, Sorry, go ahead. 
Oh, go ahead, no. Oh, and 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 putting it together. So so kind of marrying the two, the the, the real history of a place, using a real town, and, and making a fictional story. Uh, it, it does that make it more difficult? Like you said, people don't want their town to be to be sullied, even if it's in a fictional piece. Uh, does it make it more difficult to make sure the story is is one or one that that is able to bring those two elements together? I don't think it makes it more difficult because once you start writing, the story begins to take over and you just follow it. You can change things in the editing process and you try to be as fair as possible to the world that you're describing. Um, But the story itself is something you have to follow and you have to forget what you might think you owe a place or people. You know, writers, in a sense are outsiders. They're always looking for a fresh angle to something. And sometimes they do betray confidences. They do say critical things that people aren't happy with hearing. That is that is true. Um, did you know how it was going to end when you set out to write it? Yes, I often do. I knew the last sentence of the book. Um, and in a funny way, when you're writing, you're writing towards that last sentence. It's pulling you forward. And it's an interesting process. It is, because we've talked to a lot of authors here, and, and sometimes exactly they'll put out an entire outline or figure out they know exactly where the book is going, but then some will say, too, they don't really know where it's going to go. And like you just said, the story kind of unfolds in front of you. You can't always know, and sometimes you can try to force it in a certain direction, which I did at one point with this book, and all of a sudden I realized that particular character was not going to do the thing I wanted that character to do, and I had to let him do something else. Mm-hmm. So that's the excitement for a writer, actually. You, there is a process of discovery. It, it, indeed. Uh, what about the title? Did you know the title? Were you working with that title in mind? Yes, from the start. The Blue Hour is a, f- a translation of a French term, Le Bleu, for twilight. And it refers in this book to the twilight of friendship. Hmm. What do you hope people take away from this when they read it? I hope they think more seriously about the nature of friendship and the political dimension of friendship, what it means to change, what it means to confront your friends in an honest way. There's an old proverb that I use early on in the book. It says, we know we're getting old when we don't see our old friends as much as we used to because it takes too much patience. And I play with that as a motif throughout the book how we have to be able to change in long-term friendships and grow and what that means. And people are often careless about friendships. And so I hope that they take from the book an element that asks them to reevaluate what they're doing with their lives and the way they're treating their friends. Did you base any of the characters on on real friends of yours? Yes. (laughs) And will they know when they read the book? Yes. (laughs) If they read the book, (laughs) yes. That's always the risk of being a a fiction writer. And it's sometimes a comfort to read about famous writers from the past who took attributes from one friend or another and used them in the book and then to read about how their friends objected. (laughs) It it keeps you going in a way. Uh, Exactly. Um, are Are you working on anything else now? I have a collection of essays on art coming out this fall. Um... And I'm looking forward to that, actually. All right. We look forward to that as well. Richard, we're out of time, but thank you so much for joining us to talk about the Blue Hour this morning. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, Jill. All right. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Vancouver's News. Vancouver's Talk. This is News Talk 980 CKNW.